The Lean Braves reporting for duty, your source for fitness and food education with a noble purpose. Fasten your seatbelts and hold on your carrots. You're listening to the Lean Braves radio show at theleanbraves.com. We are Avengers of Health. Welcome, Braves. I'm Ron Jones, and I'm back with Dustin Ripto and Anna Carrington. And we're here on the Lean Beret Show to talk about a show uh, I have entitled Teaming for Strength. And if you listen to the first show with Dustin a few weeks back, he was lining up for a, a kidney replacement, and Anna stepped forward and, and decided to make that, that donation uh, in quite a humanitarian effort. And what's unique to this teaming is that they both came from a a strength coaching environment, uh, both members of Strong First, which is a strength certification organization education uh, group. And I'd like to welcome Anna for the first time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Ron. Yes, and Dustin, it's uh, it's really nice to have you back after that first show. I mean, you, you were way more relaxed about it than I was, <laughs> but uh, you had a quite... Yeah, you uh, kind of get used to that at the living at that at the tip of that edge after a while. Right, right. And I thought it was a very uh, different type of show, very helpful for people to listen to that. And we, you know, we oftentimes talk about strength as what we can lift and press and pull. And and this is just a completely different level of, of strength. And I'd like to, I this is one of the few shows, I was thinking about this today, uh, both of you, that I don't, I don't really know how to guide the show because it's such a unique topic. But something came to mind I'm going to share as a way to kick us off today. Uh, and it comes out of historic PE, which I study quite a bit. And it it comes from the French system called the Natural Method by George Hibert. And around 100 years ago, he was a military physical educator, and he had a motto. And it was, be strong to be useful. And that's what this reminds me of. Um, someone seeing a need that is obviously physically strong, but this is a different kind of a strength. So on that note, um, can you both tell us, you know, how you came together and did it, and then what was the procedure like going into this being as um, healthy and fit as possible um, for the journey? And maybe we'll start well, with, yeah, let's start I'll with Anna. Yeah, I, I can say that being healthy makes a huge difference. I mean, you never know really how it's how you would have been not going in healthy, but right, I've I've come through it very well, and I know that you know being in good shape makes all the recovery easier. It makes the complications less uh, likely to occur, and the the biggest thing I noticed was just being strong. I could hold myself up a whole lot better, you know, once they, my incision was like basically my, the front half of my body on right. the right side. Uh-huh. Um, but as soon as I sat up on that second day, my strong back muscles held me up, and I had no problem sitting or walking and then even coming back to work three weeks afterwards, uh, sitting all day is not a problem. Wow. Now, did the um, this is a good point. Did the, did the nurses and uh, physical therapists comment on that? Because uh, most people, <laughs> I would imagine, coming in for this aren't nearly as fit. Yeah, they, they just seem, you know, impressed in general, but it's hard to see what—I'm sure everybody's different, so it's hard to see what exactly they expect to happen. Right, right. This is what does happen. Right. Yeah, I laugh because I think that's—I uh, think they—I don't know if impressed is the right word.
advantages. Um, you know, one thing is neither one of us had all the staples or external bandages that is frequently required, um, and they just use glue. So they were able to do the internal sutures and glue. So like even our scarring is minimal and, and healed well um, in both of our cases so far. And in my case, I had a, I had drains, which is like you know just a tube that was inserted in to get right. all the excess fluids from surgery. And like typically it's two, sometimes three, and I was able to get away with just having one drain. Now, is that because of your abdominal viscera and musculature being stronger on both of you? You had more like nature's girdle going? You know, I don't know if that's the reason or it was just the, the lack of, you know, belly fat. The basically. lack of, there yeah, was, excess, yeah, excessive uh, abdominal fat, yeah. Right, yeah. That's interesting. Um, what, what possessed you... Anna, to do something like this, like I, I'm having a hard time getting my head around that kind of um, stepping forward. You know, we, we live in a culture today that oftentimes observes as spectators, but very seldom takes appropriate action. What's your background and what, what led you to have that kind of strength? Well, I, I'm sure that I'm, as you described, um, a sit back and watch kind of person when it comes to a lot of things. You know, I'm not the person that rescues animals and mm-hmm. fosters children. And then, you know, I just saw that this was that thing that I can do. Um, I had a, a, a good setup for it because my brother is a nephrologist. So he had told me all about living donation a few oh. years ago. And I remember thinking, you know, when we had the conversation that that's really cool. I might be willing to do that someday. And I was thinking family, you know, yeah, uh, most likely. And then, so last year, I heard about Dustin's situation just through Trump's nursing, through mutual friends. He was kind of aware of it, um, but I wasn't, like, triggered to action until January in a local news story that aired here in Mississippi about a cashier that one of her customers' um, wife was on dialysis, and she was talking to the customer that she knew in the store and just somebody in her community, but she'd never met the wife, but she said, she found out she needed a kidney, and she said, I'll give her one of mine. And it was just such an inspiring story. And as soon as I saw that story, I thought, hmm. I can do that. And I know somebody needs a kidney. I know of somebody. I've never met Dustin, but uh, I know plenty about him. You know, everybody speaks highly of him. I know yeah. somebody in my community. So Right. Um, so I looked on the support page that um, I had remembered seeing people share. And right there, like within... A few days prior to me looking at it, uh, Beth is the support page coordinator. She had posted, he needs a kidney. Now she just put this very, very uh, clear post on there that everybody's been very supportive. We've done fundraisers. You know, it's, the emotional support is there, but he needs a kidney if anybody can do this. And I thought, okay, it's time. It's time for me to step up. Wow. I started the process. That was January 3rd. And it's a very long process. I mean, we we expedited it as much as possible. Um, had a few, you know, stumbling blocks along the way with the one transplant center closing down and a few mm. other things. <laughs> but um, but it generally takes about six months, and that's what it took to get to surgery day. Well, it's good. That was one of my uh, questions and kind of inquiries. Like, you know, it's one thing to say, "Oh, I want to do this," but it's another thing to clear all the hurdles and the testing and the. I yeah, mean, what, what, yeah are, what are, very thorough. What are the chances, like, 
if somebody, I mean, I don't even know if there's a percentage on this, but somebody wants to donate a, a kidney in this case, what are the chances of it being okay for that person to do it? Is it 10% or 1% or 50%? It, it kind of depends who you count, as, you know, as far as entering the process and getting all the way through to the end. I've heard 1 in 20, and I think that's probably about right as far as the number of people that initially express an interest and the number of people that actually get to donate. Okay. Um, first, there's a, a pre-screening process to make sure you don't have diabetes or cancer or you know, right. two things that would rule you out initially. And you have to have your health maintenance up to date, your you know, annual test and whatnot. Right. And then you have to do the blood match, which is uh, actually three parts to that. Hmm. Blood type, a cross match, and an HLA tissue type. Hmm. Now, going so into we did that, that in about March. Okay. Going into that, you cleared, like, the, let's say, the mechanical hurdles, right? The physiological mm -hmm. hurdles. How did you prepare... Um, in other ways, like did you did you alter your hydration levels, your diet? Did you change your training protocols to to help your kidney be more ready? How did you do that? Not really. I mean, I just kept training what I was doing. I, I was I, I did go off of the uh, high protein. I've been doing mostly barbell training in 2018, and uh -huh. I kind of transitioned back to kettlebell a little bit more and brought my protein intake down. I was at 155 grams a day, so down to about 100 to 120. Yeah. So more moderate level. Uh-huh. Um, but other than that, no, I didn't really change anything. I just tried to you know, stay in as good shape as I could. Um, checked in with my brother frequently. What do I need to do to get optimized well, right. this? And he, he would tell me, and he just basically said, just keep doing what you're doing. Okay. Well, that it's good to have a brother that's a nephrologist, you know. Now, oh, yeah. Now, Dustin, what did you do as you went in? Did you... Did you change your diet, or were there certain things that you really need to do to optimize the the ability of the body to accept the donor organ? You know, mainly with being in that disease process and being in dialysis, my goal was just to have the simplest and complicated dialysis schedule I could, mm -hmm. which for me meant, and it's not a recommendation, but this for me, meant like you know a lot of carb regulation to keep the water weight off because oh, okay you because when you're in dialysis you basically become a sponge right and you absorb water that's why you're on uh, that's why you have a limit uh, how much hydration you take in a day like mine was you know it starts off as 24 ounces which is not much wow and uh, I got mine moved up to over time to 32 ounces because I was still urinating which is a, a rarity for people in dialysis and. Wow. So I was, able to kind of, I was able to move it up over time, you know, nudge it forward. But so I lived in a state of dehydration. So obviously it was, it was much simpler to kind of regulate my carbohydrate intake so that I, that I could kind of stay near my dry weight. And why that was important was is if, I, if I did gain a lot of water weight between dialysis sessions, they would try to take it off in the next session, right, where they, just, they would just suck the water out of you. And so then you get really sick, as you can imagine, you know, yeah. loss and stuff like that. And, you know, people, it's not uncommon for people to lose, you know, 10, 12 pounds in three hours sitting in dialysis chair, right? Wow. And so I try to minimize that. I would come in as close as possible to my dry weight so I'd have the, you know, simplest possible, easiest possible uh, dialysis session. So I was, I was navigating that immediate need and then just focused on food quality, of course. Not really thinking about like in my health, you know, is my nutrition affecting my transplant? God, I was really focused in the moment there, but that was the that was a big portion of it, I'm sure. So. 
dude, I mean, how do you, because I, I know you're training through this, I mean, you're exercising, how, <laughs> you live in Tulsa, it's hot there, how, how do you even, how do you even get through any exercise when you're, when, when you're limited to 24 to, you know, 32 ounces of water? Yeah, uh, you know, like, like I discussed before, like I think on our last podcast, like it was very much GTG kind of sessions, you know, grease the groove, right. very much skill-focused sessions where there wasn't probably a high metabolic load, but a high skill and neural development load, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to do do things better and really dive in at that level. Um, you know, and that, that was a necessity. My uh, modality wouldn't allow me, my stamina wouldn't allow me to do, you know, a hard training session sure. per se anyway. But sure. I would, you know, I, I'd go hit a couple of sets of deadlifts or something, or, you know, I'd get 50, 50 swings in or something, but I'll kind of cap it at that and uh, move on to the next thing and then okay. know, rest a few hours and then sneak it in and being kind of homebound and working from the home during that time, primarily, it was easy to kind of sneak in, sneak in training as I could, and that seemed to be the, the best scenario. Wow, it's quite a case of being flexible, man. You know, you're thinking about what what you really have to do and not getting stuck in something that you can't. Now, did you yeah, it, did you pull? It, was, it wasn't programmed either. Like that was a big thing, is not right. being uh, programmed. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's some. I would think just. From the outside looking in, you've just got to train by feel at that point, and one day could be a little better than others, you know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, now, that was that was one of my metrics that I used is my vitality. Like, you know, you know, how's my energy levels? I need to maintain this so I can be a good father and you know play with Ben. Right. So like that was that was kind of became the regulator of everything. Is this, is this nap going to add to my energy, or is this going to just sit me on the couch? So I, you know, so I regulate that. My training is like, well, is it, now is the time to express it, or is the time to preserve it? Right. I mean, I can't even imagine, but it would sound like, you know, if you if you didn't hit that just right, you could really wipe yourself out for maybe a few days, you know. Yeah. And certainly if, if if I trained a little hard and drank a little too much fluid or ate a little too much food because of it, then, like, you know, I, I, I certainly paid the price the next session. Hmm. session. Wow, that's really interesting. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I didn't, I... I I don't know if you mentioned that before. Maybe I didn't catch that part, but this this time I really like. Wow, twenty, you know, a few ounces of water is very difficult to navigate. But I'm probably like you know post transplant. They I'm probably well. They told me I was the first uh, at that transplant center they've ever told to back off the water because after transplant I was drinking like eight liters of water a day. Wow, right? it was no problem. You know, no wow. big deal. After this, and like they're like, okay, you can back off a little bit. So Wait. they can't. They can't be at a Four and a half liters. Yeah, probably felt good to drink some water, though, right? Oh man, it did. Now, it felt good to pee. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, you know the simple things, man. You know, <laughs> you take for granted until you can't pee or go to poop. You know, I mean, it's crazy. Now, did you? Because you, you mentioned the neurological stuff. Did you pull back into your Z Health uh, neuroscience background and just kind of think along those lines when you were training? Did that would that yeah, might have been a helpful? little bit? I, I you know really I really stayed with. Uh, with that GTG model, I did do some DJM. I did some dynamic joint mobility. Yeah. But really, uh, I was just focused on skill and getting as clean as possible in the movements I could. And it's taking that more global view. Like, I wasn't trying to improve my kettlebell press. Right. I was trying to improve my pressing overhead position. So, regardless of what that looked like, you know, okay. that was a handstand or a handstand push up or pull up even or press. It didn't matter. It was just, it was all the same. And this is a good little spot um, for both of us uh, and and Anna 
all three of us to pull back and say, you know, there's such a value for um, not talking about the kidney thing right now, but just like really high quality training and what you can get out of that per minute that you put into it. I don't know if a lot of people in general public understand the emphasis or the benefit of, of really high quality training. Um, because you can maintain quite a bit um, and get a lot out of just a few minutes a day. I was talking to my daughter about this today. She's 16 and has a little foot injury. She's kind of nursing through and, you know, just getting her dialed in some really clean single leg balance uh, type drills, you know, with very good foot posture. Would you like to mention something about that, Dustin, and what you well, kind of were able to maintain through that? Yeah, certainly. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, with that, and you know, I was I was still leaking a bit of muscle despite myself and losing quite a bit of weight despite you know my efforts. But the the quality of movement stayed very very high. Um, I didn't have much stamina as I mentioned, but like sure. you know, my my lifts stayed basically the same. My level of strength, gross strength, remained basically the same. But there was there was so much potential. I felt like I was building that when I do get back to training, which I'm still not back yet. I'm still on a few more weeks before I'm allowed to. Right. But when I do get back to training, that I should be able to increase the volume, increase the load, and increase the intensity, and gain that benefit from it, right? Just turn all things to my advantage. Like, I was forced to focus on my, you know, pure skill development. So, great. Let's make the best use of that. So, when I do get to return to a, a more mundane training model, then should be able to excel would be my hope right? and how how did we that were, we were talking about that yesterday as the time of, of rapid gains so we have to start back from very light and then we right. can rapidly progress right so that's kind of where i'm at right um dustin how how did that emphasis on the mastery affect your mental attitude going in because that was something you were able to control how did that change how you thought I don't know if it changed how I thought wrong. I think that's just who I was. I mean, I think it just brought forth the best part of me. Okay. I love this. I love this mastery mindset. Um, I think we're a little enamored with our culture of like hacking. You know, right? Biohack this, biohack that. And I, I kind of, you know, the martial arts background, traditional martial arts background, I still kind of crave this like long path to mastery and being okay with that. Right. Like, you know, take a simple thing and do it very well. And so I think it just fits me very well. Like, it wasn't like, oh, no, I have to do this. It was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. And, it, and it's also that long-term view. And it fits well with that that long-term vision of, like, how do I want to be? And, you know, I had, my vision was very clear. Like, I want to roughhouse play with my grandkids. And considering my son is five, right. I've got a long way to go. So, like, that's part of it. I'm taking that long-term view get there and so it was very I, I won't say easy but i will say simple right it's a very simple decision i i did a show um last year frank uh Ferenicic, um on he wrote a book called the art is long and it's basically what you're talking about like there are no real fast tracks to <laughs> you know this discovery and mastery stuff don't be fooled by that now Anna, as you come out of this, you know, what's your mindset for training and where will you um, begin and how will you begin? Have you Or do you have a plan yet? I, well, I started back to the gym week, uh, two weeks ago and just to kind of 
get back in the habit, and so far just doing movement practice. So I'll do Turkish get-ups uh, with no weight. Um, well, it started with no weight, then I went to a four-kilogram kettlebell, and then a six-kilogram kettlebell, and then an eight. So I was just slowly working my way back. Um, and just making sure that I move correctly, you know, slowly. I'm not doing anything fast, like ballistic uh, kettlebell swings or anything. But Right. Um, but that's my goal is to work back to that. Um, you know, I like to... I like to use heavy kettlebells. I like to do um, long sessions of um, what uh, one of my past coaches, Al Chiampa, calls A plus A, elastic plus aerobic. So we do like five heavy snatches, and I usually use a 24 kg uh, and then rest for a minute and then do another set of five snatches and then rest, and you might keep that up for up to an hour. Um, so that's that's the kind of training that I like to do with the kettlebell. Also do barbell, you know, traditional yeah. squats and press and bench press, deadlift. That's a significant um, workload for for a man. I mean, and not to you know put down the gender, but that uh, very few women that I know would be able to do that. I mean, that's uh, yeah. If I could brag on her for a minute, Ron, she when she came out to Oklahoma for her uh, first consult, right, to do her first uh, round of testing, she left uh, one of like I think it was. Or, correct me if I'm wrong, Anna, but it was your uh, stress test, your cardiac stress test, right? She left it to go to one of my former students' house to uh, to snatch the 32K bell for reps. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I won't get any, like, you know, snatch uh, test next to her, that's for sure, man. I, I'm, I'm, just, just, <laughs> I'm just saying that I have the right kidney. I'm just saying that. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Now, having done a few Turkish get-ups, I can't, I can't even get my head around doing that with that kind of incision. So there's an external incision, obviously, and, and you know, can we talk about this in two parts? Because I'm really curious about it, and I think other people would be as well. On the abdominal bracing part, how long does the, the wall of the abdomen need to heal in order for you to do you know, heavier types of workload. And then what's the internal suturing part? Is that faster or longer or about the same amount of time? I'm curious. Well, the big surprise to me was they didn't cut my muscles. I mean, I had uh, most most of the time for a, a donor nephrectomy, they do a laparoscopic, and usually they take the left kidney. Well, in my case, they decided to take the right kidney because there was a little bit of a size difference, and they make sure to leave the donor with the larger kidney if there is any appreciable difference. Okay. Unfortunately, both of mine were good size. So d- deciding to do the right side, you know, you've got the liver and the colon, I guess it's a little more complicated. So they did an open surgery. So they did the incision, uh, you know, through the flesh layer, and then they just pull the muscles aside and go under them and have to go way back to get to the kidney, hmm. uh, but basically didn't cut the muscle. Oh, that's so really fascinating. Then, mm-hmm. So the main thing that has to heal is that fascia, that abdominal wall, um, and that's why you really want to stay with the weight limit guidelines in those six weeks to make sure that heals and you don't end up with an incisional hernia where right. you know, the inside comes out. So, okay. Uh, so I'm definitely adhering to that. I don't want that to happen. But the muscles themselves work pretty well and, and seem it's a little bit uh, numb still on the right side and, and maybe that rectus abdominis isn't quite working right, but I have confidence that it will soon. Yeah, well, that was one of my questions because we know now uh, of course, maybe back in the day they did too, like hundreds of years ago. Who knows? But the the fascia is quite neurologically active. So how how did that affect the muscle firing? And you you said what was the rectus abdominis wasn't quite on yet. You said, mm-hmm. yeah, it could could very well be that. 
Um, yeah, I just, just today emailed the, the uh, coordinator to see if I could get the actual surgical report uh-huh. because I'm super curious about all that stuff, but I'm, I'm not medically literate, so I'll have to get somebody, my brother or somebody smart to interpret it for me. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting. So just right now, just light body weight movements, real light load weight, things that just kind of move the whole body mm-hmm. and... Uh, and and also mm-hmm. not in not in a sagittal plane, which for people that don't understand that language is it's not just straight back and forth. You're also twisting and turning a bit, um, keeping mm-hmm. your joint mobility up. That's good. And have you changed your post op um, diet around or hydration levels, or are you just kind of back to now, what you're uh, doing? A little bit of hydration. They want to want to make sure you stay hydrated to make life easy for the one kidney because the kidney has to pick up the slack and. Right. And it will grow a little bit, so you end up with, you know, 70, 75% of, of previous function, which is plenty. Most of them have oh, wow. extra capacity in the kidneys. So I didn't know that. One. Wow. That's yep. fascinating. Yep. The so, body adapts, right? Yeah, you only need one. Hmm. And so, uh, so extra hydration, um, no, no dietary changes at all. I mean, they... they they give different guidance on protein. They basically they don't go crazy with protein, but right. you know you can eat a normal, normal yeah. amount. So uh, well, while she was in Oklahoma, they, they she did discover Brahms ice cream, though. So there was that dietary. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's probably earned, I don't live in Oklahoma. She's probably earned it at this point, you know. So <laughs> yeah. long term, if we're looking out like one or two year range, you know, I'll start with you, Dustin. What what do you predict you'll be able to do? Um, I don't know if you can compare it to what you did before or what you want to do, but how how is this going to affect you versus someone that hasn't been through this, or will it? Or I, I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious as well. Uh, I'm really curious what's in sport. I'm not expecting well, even in that moderate term distance that uh, I'll have any limitations in strength. I think I'll be back, you know, I'm 43. I think by 45, I, I hope to be the strongest I've been in my entire life. Hmm. And so, um, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, at, at, you know, relative to body weight, I'm a much smaller animal now than I was uh, right. at, at earlier in life. But well, that's that, okay, too. Yeah, that's probably a little less load in your kidney, not to carry all the extra mass. Yeah. Yeah. But that's fine. That's fine. And well, and, and we also know that strength of weight is king. So, you know, can you be stronger for the pounds that you do have with your you know, more advanced, more educated training, because I, I don't know about you, but 10 years ago, what, what I was doing is much different than what I can do now, even if I don't want to do it. Although, I don't do as much strength training now as uh, I did a few years ago. I've been just uh, doing more running and restorative stuff, and that's kind of my place where I'm at right now, and I'm okay with that. Now, Anna, do you do you project any real changes looking out a year or two? Do you think you're going to be able to go back to pretty much what you were doing before, other than some little dietary tweaks? Yeah, I think I'll be able to do exactly what I could do before. I'm also a cyclist, so I usually ride, you know, 30 to 50 miles on a weekend ride. Uh Uh-huh. I did my first bike ride this past Sunday. Felt just the same. Wow, that's amazing. You know, just stamina down just a little bit, but it was... uh, did 19 miles instead of my usual 30-something, but yeah, um, I think I'll be back to that very quickly. And, yeah, the only change, you know, long-term is they say to avoid NSAIDs. So, you know, instead of taking Motrin, right. I have a ache or a pain, I take Tylenol. Okay. Um, that and staying hydrated are really about the only thing wow. that I'll need to do differently. Well, it, it I, I'm a photographer, too. I, I photographed the Death Valley 
um, race called the Badwater 135 Ultra Marathon. And I was out there this year in July, and there was a lady in her 40s probably, and um, her support van broke down going up one of the really steep climbs in the heat of the afternoon. It was like brutal conditions. And so she took her best pacer, and they went down the road like almost 30 miles, just kind of begging and borrowing supplies as they went along. And I caught up with her before the aid station, and uh, we were trying to get her back. She ended up having to pull out and go to the hospital for an IV. But I'm mentioning this because she had this spiritual strength and determination to do it. I I didn't know at the time, but I found it later. She had donated a kidney the year before to her son. And she was out there doing the race and, like, the strength to be able to do that and just the mental, like, you know, even though her body had really taken a hit from the, the scenario of not having the proper support with the fluids and everything, uh, the mental strength she had and the spiritual strength, I don't know if you can quantify that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, kind of watching the two of you and knowing a little bit about the story as you move forward, that that type of strength will take you a long ways. And, and Dustin, I know with your coaching, I think um, that type of training that you did going into this, I think can be so valuable for other people that you're coaching to prepare. And I think that's going to be a real gift for you. And I, I look forward to hearing about how that helps people. Well, this is yeah, this belief in what your body can do. I mean, you can it, the the healing that your body can do after surgery, and the recovery that your body can do after strength training or endurance training. It's it's really amazing. Well, it's a very inspiring story, and I hope other people just think about what their bodies can do um, if you give them a chance and you you put a little effort into it. Um, they're pretty remarkable, and we've evolved, you know, <laughs> being resilient. And um, sometimes we get too far away from that. But I I think this has been you know, one of the more unique, if not the most unique show that I've ever done over the years. And it's definitely uh, along the theme of be strong to be useful, which comes out of classical, you know, physical education and strength. And uh, you guys exemplify that. And I have a lot of respect for both of you. So thank you for sharing and um, just the best of success and strength to you as you move forward. Thank you, Ron. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Lean Braves Radio Show at theleanbraves.com. Until next time, keep moving for a noble purpose. No excuses, not even if you're on dialysis or donating a kidney.